Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with The Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a passion for making more than one person healthier in this world. I'm super enthused to have Dr. Nadav Moore on the show. Dr. Nadav Moore is very accomplished in a variety of different fields, has a strong passion and focus in emergency uh, room and the emergency department. He's the medical director uh, in the emergency department for McAllen Medical Center and McAllen Heart Hospital, as well as the South Texas Medical Society. Not to mention, has a variety of other different initiatives, one being for Cenovations, which he'll t- talk about a little bit more in just a little bit. And he's also the vice chair of emergency medicine for the South Texas Health System. Uh, Dr. Moore, so great to have you, and thank you for being on the show. Hi, Anthony. Thanks so much for having me. Great, great. Well, uh, so, yeah, super enthused to hear more about what you're focused on. But before we get to that, we'd love to hear more about you and your story. Tell us a little bit about your origin, how you got started, what led you to the medical industry? Sure. Uh, well, you know, I was uh, born and raised in Israel, Anthony, and uh, you could say into a medical family. My dad's a doctor, my mom's a nurse, you know, that kind of story. Uh, and uh, growing up, I knew that I wanted to be a physician. Um, as I was uh, going through medical school, I realized it's kind of hard to let go of uh, different parts of medicine. You know, if I were to be a neurologist, what about, you know, uh, uh, infectious disease? And if I were to be a pediatrician, what about cardiology? So I realized that uh, I'm having a problem letting go of different aspects of medicine. And when I stumbled upon the world of emergency medicine, that is really kind of like all encompassing. And, you know, in one shift, we could see, you know, like a two month old uh, baby with an infection and, uh, you know, like a seven-year-old uh, uh, person with, uh, you know, like broken bones from a car accident. And really, you don't let go of any part of medicine. That's just really when I got hooked. Nice, nice. No, it's 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 really exciting. It, it sounds stressful, right? So someone wants to be a healer. Someone wants to help people get healthier. The emergency room, I know for me, I, 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 I could barely <laughs> stand the sight of blood. Um, focusing on emergency room and emergency sounds like you need a lot of courage, right? So like, where does that come from? Where does that yearn to really be at the heart of, of the, the significant emergency opportunity? Like where do where does that, is that just in your DNA or where does that come from? <laughs> oh, I wish it was a DNA thing, but I think the most, the, uh, the most significant thing I can say is that it's really about the interest and the passion of uh, um, of the patient that's in front of you. You know, you get so into their care and what they need to get done and what their problem is and what is your next step. Uh, you know, in many ways it helps, you know, you don't really focus, you know, on the tragedy, on the, you know, it doesn't paralyze you uh, when you uh, uh, are dealing, dealing with a specific patient. So, um, I mean, you have to find it interesting and fascinating. Uh, you have to... Uh, I would say really have a, a, a passion to uh, to help uh, patients, and I think that really helps overcome uh, you know those barriers that are very normal. You know, like you see blood, it's terrible. You see like a big you know trauma. You know, it's you know people might freeze. Uh, but for us in emergency medicine, I really think that's what drives us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, this is this is super exciting. I mean, we, obviously the you know the different initiatives and organizations that you're involved with benefit for for your courage from your courage. Um, so you're 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 focused on the emergency room today. You're also part of the the McAllen uh, the Heart Hospital, and you focus on that side as well. 
Um, but all in all, can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on today? You know, what has you passionate and what you're working on today? Maybe tell, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about your projects, your day to day. Um, and maybe if you, if we can explore that and unpack that a little bit more, that'd be great. Sure. So, you know, Anthony, I uh, practice medicine mostly in South Texas, uh, over in, uh, in McAllen, right on the Mexican border, uh, which definitely has a very interesting uh, flavor of its own when we practice emergency medicine. Uh, we kind of combine first world medicine, which is the United States, with third world medicine, which might be, you know, uh, people coming from uh, South America uh, trying to cross the border. Um, we see a lot of things that might not be very common other uh, parts of uh, uh, um, of the U.S., uh, various, you know, like infection, uh, infectious uh, disease and, and other uh, uh, pathologies, which really makes things uh, interesting uh, and engaging. And uh, one of the initiatives I've, I'm involved with is the uh, South Texas Medical Society. Due to the uh, what we feel is the, its own special microcosmos of uh, South Texas, uh, you know, a little different than what's happening north to us, maybe say Houston, maybe say Dallas, maybe say the rest of the U.S., we felt that uh, we want to kind of like consolidate our own medical community where we can network and connect and share with each other. So uh, that was the initiative that triggered us to, uh, uh, to found the South Texas Medical Society, which really connects uh, uh, providers uh, all the way from uh, El Paso, although technically this is Southwest Texas, all the way up to uh, uh, Corpus Christi in the East, uh, encompassing a population of about 4 million people only on the U.S. side. So that's one uh, initiative that uh, we're very excited about. I currently serve as the founding president of this medical society. And the other initiative is uh, Sinovations. Uh, and you can hear the word innovations kind of like hiding there. Uh, which is um, a small uh, initiative, um, well, actually not that small anymore, it started small, of uh, healthcare consulting started uh, by myself and a uh, good uh, colleague of mine uh, who serves as a, as a healthcare executive, kind of like building from our experience over the uh, decades uh, that we've been involved in medicine, especially acute care and emergency medicine, trying to help various um, healthcare organizations. Basically, we see it as uh, helping them achieve their vision. We kind of like to tell them, use us, use us for your own vision. Uh, mm -hmm. How would you like us to implement the goals and the, the vision of your organization? So these are the, uh, in addition to my clinical work, these are the two uh, initiatives I'm involved with. Yeah, super interesting on the innovation side, especially on the emergency uh, dimension of, of care. Um, I can imagine when you're dealing with emergency, it, it could feel like your job never ends because it's it's constant, lots of volume. I think when you and I have talked in the past, you know, you you've had an analogy of of you know uh, quality, right? And almost like not insensitive wise, but you know, treating patients like cars because if we can get our cars, you know, process and delivery process and creation process to be near perfect, as what they call it, you know, a, a Six Sigma process. Um, there'd be so many more healthier people. So you're, you're interfacing with such a, an interesting volume. I mean, how do you, what innovations are you seeing today? And then what, what has you excited about any specific innovations in, in the space that you're in? 
Yeah, Anthony. So, you know, it really is connected to what you're saying. Uh, you know, the the, conver- the conventional teaching in medicine, and of course it's true, you know, every patient is its own world. It's like you know, every patient means the world to you and you have to give them your, you know, uh, uh, full uh, uh, dedicated attention, etc. But what do you do over a course of uh, a year when you have 30,000 of those, 40,000 of those, you know, 50,000 of those, sometimes 100,000 in the busy ERs? Uh, so there is a rule for uh, kind of like looking at uh, the problem from different angles. And you mentioned cars, and it is true. You know, technically, you mentioned Six Sigma, which goes to six digits uh, after the zero of, of a margin of error, basically one in a million. If we uh, could uh, reach a goal of uh, one in a million margin of error uh, for our patients across the, you know, like the, the health system in the U.S., that would be an incredible achievement. So it's kind of like counter uh, intuitive, you know, people are people, they're not cars, but there are things that we can learn from, uh, and we have, you know, these are very est- well-established doctrines now in, in emergency medicine, etc., cetera, uh, taken from uh, the, uh, actually the Japanese car industry, such as uh, Six uh, Sigma. It's really about standardizing processes, you know, doing things exactly the same every time, again, when appropriate, etc. And then you were asking me about how does innovation, uh, you know, help with uh, uh, taking care of, of patients, etc. Well, definitely a big component of that is uh, information technology. You know, when you deal with these masses of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, patients, you know, for one physician, you know, I see about um, maybe uh, across my physician uh, assistants, etc. During a shift, I, I might be involved in the care of 50 people. That's Per one day. Now I work uh, maybe four or five days a week. Multiply that by you know the number of weeks. We're talking about tens of thousands of people uh, across a lifetime. So the question is, uh, how do you, what do you do with all this data, and how do you help patients uh, you know be healthier and be you know safer and have a better outcome? So it really comes down to a lot of uh, information technology. Um, uh, innovations and improvements. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, it starts by uh, having a real-time monitoring of what's going on across your different facilities. So, you know, we have systems now that would tell us, you know, how many patients are in each in each ER right now? How many are waiting to get admitted? How many are, how many are waiting for labs, etc.? And that gives you like real high-quality, real-time data of what's going on now. Now, if you look and you see that uh, last year when you had 50,000 patients, um, 7% of them got admitted. But this year, for example, that you're looking at your data and it's uh, 10%. Well, the question is what happened there? And I'm just giving these as examples of how uh, big numbers, uh, uh, when you have access to them, where they're like easily available and when the data is high quality, meaning it's really accurate and reflects what's going on, how it can help you make decisions as a healthcare leader and administrator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's super interesting. You're, you're really describing it. So my next question was going to be, what's the difference that makes a difference in, in emergency room uh, administration and, and streamlining processes? But it sounds like, you know, what you're saying here is information technology and great systems that give visibility or giving um, highlighting not things so much that are common sense, but are probably like giving you super sense, right? But, but yeah, I mean, what what are some with this data you're getting? What are some things always that other like if if you're if we have a listener that's you know in charge of another emergency room 
um, or a set of them in another part of the country. What are some things that you found that make a significant difference um, after analyzing the data? You get all this data. What's one or two things that always pops up? It's like, oh my gosh, we just improved that flow or that process. Sure. Yeah, exactly. You know exactly what you're saying. That was actually the next thing I wanted to uh, to bring up. That a lot of emergency medicine work is made up of many sub phases and sub processes and you know it's kind of like looking at things like you're in a car factory you know there are you know you make a car right which is you know you get a patient where they need to be you take care of a patient that would be your analogy but that's really made up of many different sub processes you know a patient arrives to the ER and gets registered now the patient needs to be triaged by the nurse to see you know what his vital signs are and you know we try to triage in the ER so, you know, the sickest patients get treated first and the less sick gets, you know, uh, get, get treated really after this, the sicker ones. And then, you know, a patient might need lab work and they might need a CAT scan and, you know, they might need uh, the admitting doctor to see them or they might need to see a neurologist, etc. So all these, like, um, microprocesses really uh, create uh, um, uh, a picture of many, uh, many moving pieces that really need to fit in together and be optimized. So one way mm-hmm. to do this is to really break down all these microprocesses. You know, you'd be surprised. You know, a patient comes to the ER, patient gets treated, the patient leaves the ER. There are hundreds of processes that actually happen at the same time to get the, you know, to basically uh, to get the care of that patient going. So the question is, mm-hmm. uh, from a, an administrator point, from the medical director standpoint, what are these? processes, how do they interact with each other, and um, uh, what needs to be done to optimize them. So for example, one thing that's, um, you know, frequently a question is, uh, uh, you know, there's a thing called uh, uh, leaving against medical advice. For whatever reason, patients don't want to wait anymore, can't wait anymore, just decide that they want to leave, and they just leave the ER without us finishing uh, mm-hmm. our care for them. And of course, from the physician standpoint, that's concerning, right? Because I'm not yet comfortable telling this patient, you are good to go home. But, mm-hmm. you know, the system is may- maybe overwhelmed. Maybe they don't want to wait anymore. Maybe something else happened and they decided to leave. So here's a very specific question. How do you decrease this, what's called uh, AMA rate, the again, leaving against medical advice? And how do you do that? Well, you use information technology for that. You use the big numbers. How many mm-hmm. such AMAs did we have last year? How many of them left within the first hour, which, you know, different processes really affect the first hour of them being in the ER? How many of them were actually waiting for a CAT scan that took a long time, et cetera, et cetera. So this is just an example how you take one specific problem and you apply, you know, the, the laws of the big numbers to, uh, to kind of like solve a problem in your organization. And this is actually something that we do both, uh, you know, in my day-to-day routines and the emergency department, and also with Synovations, the uh, the healthcare consulting. Various such problems are problems that we, you know, get uh, asked about from clients uh, on a regular basis, and uh, I try to provide answers to. Interesting, very interesting about the the process optimizations and the things that you're seeing um, from a data perspective. Uh, and, and so it sounds like good IT systems, good visibility, you know, having that almost that dashboard, that central nervous system that, you know, the, the team, also the people are, are paying attention to, right, is, is, is it feels like that's an important dimension is you can have the best data in the world, but having eyes that can respond and react appropriately is, is key. Um, Dr. Moore, can you tell us a little bit about 
your vision of the future, specifically when it comes to the emergency room? Like, what's what? How how, how do you see the the emergency room process or department of the future? Love to hear a little bit about that, and then just also just love to hear your vision of the future or things that you may believe uh, when it comes to health that haven't been proven yet, or things that um, you know you may believe in health that other people may feel are, are are a little crazy. Sure, of course. So you know, Anthony, I always like to say that uh, medicine is one of the few professions that's trying to destroy itself uh, in the sense that uh, you know we always try to find solutions and cures we we want people to not need to go to the doctor because they won't have a problem you know we don't want them to go to the er because we've done appropriate preventive medicine etc so we're kind of like always trying to uh um um eliminate the need to actually see the doctor of course you know this is like an ongoing uh battle for centuries nothing that's going to end in the next uh uh, in the next few generations. So there will always be room for physicians. But medicine, like you said, will definitely change medicine of the future, uh, etc. So, uh, I mean, definitely, um, uh, you know, I mentioned information technology before, uh, and um, uh, that still applies, you know, uh, from the very uh, real-time management of complex health systems, like the example I provided earlier, to the ability to do uh, proper uh, remote medicine what we call telehealth uh, we still mm-hmm. use that uh, in some of uh, uh, in some of the facilities you know you might actually not have a neurologist available in all your facilities but you can get a neurologist on the video cam for example so mm-hmm. that definitely has value in its own if you're trying to assess for example someone for a stroke you might use mm-hmm. your tele neurologist and they would see if you know if they have a weakness here a weakness there they will speak to the patient get their story etc Something similar happens with critical care, believe it or not. The attending, the physician, the decision maker does not necessarily have to be at the location where the patient Mm. is. Uh, Of course, you need the support staff, you need the nursing, you might need a physician assistant, a nurse practitioner, etc. But an attending physician, uh, a board-certified critical care physician might not need to be there on the spot. He actually might be able to be at home overseeing five other facilities instead of just yours. So the whole mm-hmm. the topic of telemedicine, I think, is huge. Uh, and it's not just the having the physician available, etc. It's also uh, hardware-related. So, you know, better ability to track your patient's heart rate and knowing remotely what their blood pressure is and what's their what their oxygen saturation is. And even there's now early talk about using uh, spectrometry for actually getting blood tests. So with nothing invasive, just putting, imagine you just put a device on your finger and you know Mm -hmm. what your sugar is or what your blood count is, stuff like that. So these things are really in the pipeline and uh, they are making me very excited. Because also as an emergency physician, I really want the patients that need to be there to be there. Those that don't need to be there, I don't necessarily want them to be there you know the er is really the safety net of the health system there is no place in the united states where whenever you need day or night 24 7 you will get seen it's only the er it's not urgent care it's not the doctor's office it's not it's only the emergency department so we are always there as a safety net but better utilization of the er uh is uh is always an issue is always a question that comes up um, and uh, I think telehealth would be uh, a big uh, component in that. Uh, in, ad- in addition to that, you know, probably every, any physician would tell you about preventive medicine and really how do we, you know, like the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the factors that are actually causing disease. So, you know, um, I spoke recently with um, 
with one of, with a healthcare executive in one of the consulting companies telling me telling me that when we went to med school you know we learned how to treat heart attack we learned how to treat uh, um, you know pneumonia but we didn't talk enough about diet about you know uh, even like your your mental state you know like decreasing stress we didn't talk enough about what you can really really do for exercise and for weight loss and what we can mm-hmm. do to avoid smoking and alcohol consumption, et cetera, et cetera. So another big bucket I would say is uh, is uh, preventive medicine. And uh, you know that really relates to, I think, uh, something that you're very interested in, which is uh, uh, population health, et cetera. Uh, huge, huge thing that I think uh, mm-hmm. uh, if we do it, if, you, if we play our cards right, would really have a big positive impact on our patient populations. Yeah, no, this is great. And I, pre- I appreciate you highlighting, yeah, these these they're much more than in technology. It feels like there's societal shifts with, with telemedicine, telehealth, the concepts of, of telepresence. And so I, I, we've never heard, you know, at least on this show, the dimension of, you know, after you're in the emergency room, you can get triage to a specialist that's not even there, which, which definitely sounds like we're living, you know, in the future to have that level of sophistication that quick. Um, as you were speaking, one thing that prompted me is what, you know, when you're talking about ambulances, right. And, and transportation and, and the concept of telepresence being changed. How do you see, do you do you see any effects with like the Uber and the lifts of the world and ambulances? Like any problems that are happening there? Or any like opportunities that you're seeing for people to arrive at the emergency room more efficiently? That you know from a from a social perspective may not have access to to proper transportation. You know, that's a really great question, Anthony, and uh, I'm not sure what's the best way to address it. If you need to get seen now and you're concerned and you think you might be having a heart attack or you think you might be having a stroke, you really mm-hmm. just need to call the ambulance. That's that's it. You need to call the ambulance mm-hmm. because they're going to get there the quickest. Um, you need to call right. the ambulance because they're best qualified to provide you with the initial uh, you know, care and treatment. Uh, and they would really know where you need to go and how fast you right. go. You know, sirens on, right. etc. Uh, right. So, um, so that's that. And uh, as far as like arriving in the ER, uh, yeah, various transportation. I know we're talking about like autonam- um, auto- automatic uh, uh, cars or um, what do you call them? Is uh, autonomic autonomous uh, vehicles, etc. Yeah. etc. Et so, I mean, I guess that also could be. You know, it really hopefully is something that would ease. Uh, you know, getting into uh, the care that you need, you know, you just, you know, that's a few years away. I know some cities in, in the U.S. actually are implementing, uh, you know, self-driving cars, etc. For, for such a goal. There's one thing I do want to share, and that's actually from my experience in Israel. And I mm-hmm. have not seen it in the U.S. yet, and uh, maybe it does exist, but I have not seen it. We have a system of uh, scooters, actually, uh, that uh, arrive at the scene uh, much sooner than an ambulance. You, It's much easier to maintain a scooter, right? I mean, you would have a paramedic wow. on it or uh, basically a paramedic or an EMT uh, with whatever kit they have. Obviously, they can't transport you under a scooter, but, you know, they can mm-hmm. get through traffic and they can get through alleys. And their ability to arrive at the scene is faster and cheaper because you only need one person. And your, you know, your equipment is much lighter and cheaper. So mm. that's one thing that I think has some opportunity for utilizing uh, in the U.S. And it's fairly prevalent in Israel, I have to say. So maybe that's mm. a thing to, uh, uh, to bring to the table. And, and silly question, though. This may sound silly, but does this, do the scooters, could, do you see the scooters getting deployed in Israel from the ambulances or from the hospitals? Or 
how does that spoke out and work? Oh man, um, so that would be really maybe cool. one or two scooters are in an ambulance and there can be a, a logistics, uh, yeah. you know, like that's interesting. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually a cool idea. I didn't think about the whole kind of like coming out of an ambulance and stuff like that. What typically happens in Israel is they are in their, uh, you know, like dispatch center, you know, uh, they might be where the ambulance is, but uh, right. you know, maybe a station would have, I don't know, three or four ambulances, right? I'm just giving an example, but you'd have uh, six or seven scooters available. And they actually might be not even at the dispatcher. You know, they might be spread out in different parts of the city. Mm-hmm. So their response time would be optimized, which, by the way, this is another thing where, you know, like information technology can really help, you know, algorithms that help tell you, you know, where to optimize the location of your uh, 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 first responders, you know, so they you know, mm-hmm. everyone's like spread out, you know, appropriately for optimal right. response time. That's definitely something that's like an, an algorithm can help with. So yeah, that's, that's yeah, that to answer your so question. That's where they're located. They might, would, might be either with the dispatcher or spread around the city. Not typically coming out of an ambulance uh, uh, for uh, right. Yeah. Right. No, this is interesting. Yeah, in just my mind. Maybe I was just describing that's a cool idea. Le- le- Lego toy set <laughs> for an aspiring uh, child doctor. But uh, but no, this is really interesting, Doctor Moore. Um, I think we've covered uh, you know a lot of different topics. I think most importantly, we covered you know your story and what led you into this space, which you know uh, I know you won't say, but you know it's very admirable, and and I, I'm always very fascinated in fields where it, it requires a constant daily sense of courage, uh, you know, to do what you do. You know, you're really in the line of fire and doing so in a, in a high volume in a very, you know, interesting, you know, part of the country that's a lot different than, than others, which you touched upon. And um, so really appreciate you, uh, Dr. Moore, being on the show. Let me ask you, what's a good way for our listeners to engage with you if they're interested in in reaching out and engaging with you? Oh, sure. So first of all, I mean, I'd, I would love to hear from uh, from listeners, uh, you know, different uh, levels or fields of uh, medicine or healthcare um, that have questions or want to connect or to network. Um, my email address is probably the quickest one. Uh, maybe you can provide it later in the uh in the text for the podcast, but it's dr. Then my full name, which is nadavmore at gmail.com. Um, for our uh, medical society, which I would love to uh, have uh, people of in healthcare in South Texas and even outside of the region that would like to be part of our uh, medical activities in uh, South Texas, uh, the website address is uh, stx for Texas ms.org, so South Texas Medical Society.org. Um, and for our um, consulting initiative, uh, healthcare consulting, um, acute care consulting, you can find us at synovations.com, which is uh, cnovations.com. And I'll be happy to uh, connect or network with uh, uh, anyone that has uh, an interest or passion for healthcare. Perfect, perfect. Dr. Moore, this was incredible having you on. I really appreciate our conversations here and the different topics we've talked about in this space. Very fascinating, very interesting. And then we'll link to all of the links and contact information that you just provided. We'll provide that in the show notes and it'll be on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud and iTunes, of course. But uh, thanks again for being on the show and for all our listeners out there. Again, this is the Pop Health Show. This is for anyone with a passion for making more than one person healthier in in this world. So 
Thanks so much, everyone, as always. Much appreciated. Thanks so much, Anthony. Thank you.